You are listening to the Teleperformance Podcast on Spotify. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you so much for joining this discussion today. I'm Cesar Solomon, Executive Vice President with Teleperformance and Chair of our Latinx at Teleperformance Employee Resource Group and proud member of our Black at Teleperformance Employee Resource Group. And I'm joined today by the incredible Libra Clemens, Chief Diversity Officer for Twilio. And we're gonna have an important discussion today. We're gonna talk about some topics that are very near and dear to both of our hearts. We'll touch on racism, racist policies, and how we can uh, eliminate uh, uh, racism from our organizations. Uh, We'll talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the role that each of us can play in addressing these roles. So with that said, I'd like to thank you, Libra, so much for taking the time out to have this discussion today. And I figure we can jump in uh, with a little bit of a background and talk a little bit about our stories and why this topic is so important and near and dear to both of our hearts. Yeah, so first of all, it's loaded for only a short amount of time, but I think we can get this going. So I have been in the diversity space for about 15 or 20 years. And so I have seen the evolution of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And everybody knows what happened in 2020. Beyond the global pandemic, we had a global pandemic on top of a global pandemic. And there was a lot of racial unrest and racial reckoning, um, a little late for a lot of people, but it was happening. And the world finally took a beat and was like, we got to focus on this. Companies were scrambling. You and I, we worked at companies. They were scrambling, trying to figure out How do we address this? How much money do we give to organizations? How do we shift our policies? Do we have all the right diversity, equity, inclusion policies in place? So I joined Twilio shortly after um, in August 2020. And Twilio was a company that said, we're committed to becoming an anti-racist organization. I was on board. I was like, this sounds fabulous until we realized, what is that? What is being an anti-racist organization? Nobody has done this before. What does that mean? And Caesar, we've had conversations around like, what does that really mean? This is new. Anti-racism is not a new idea, but conceptually in the workplace, it's new for the workplace. And I saw a lot of companies trying to figure out how they were going to reckon with racism and something that we've all tried before. And so Twilio, amongst other companies, decided they wanted to shift their focus because diversity and equity inclusion are programs their trainings, there's you know, the business case. Anti-racism is personal. These are personal journeys and leadership transformations that we all have to go to to reckon with racism. And so our team spent some time, we read Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and we dissected it and tried to figure out how do we apply that to our corporate policies, our corporate practices and so forth. It feels different from what we did years ago with diversity, equity, inclusion. It's a close cousin of diversity, equity, inclusion, but it's less about the programs, which are fabulous and foundational. It's less about the programs. It's less about the training. It's more in the interventions. It's more about the personal decisions that you make. So Caesar, we've been talking about this a while, and you have a very interesting story as well. I would love to hear your background, and then we could talk a little bit more about how this shows up in terms of racism in the workplace. Absolutely. Thank you, Libra. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned something that, that stood out to me, and it was around it being personal, it being um, 
something that is true to ourselves and that that really impacts our lives. And so when I when I was sitting down preparing for this discussion today, one of the themes that kept coming to mind was tell your truth, speak your truth, right? Th these topics that we'll talk about affected, you know, affect millions of people, but they certainly affected us as individuals. And so a little bit about my background and my story. So my parents are from the Dominican Republic. Uh, they moved to uh, the United States in the 70s and searched for a better life for them and their family. Um, so I was born and raised in New York, in the Bronx. And as a first-generation Dominican-American, as a proud Afro-Latino, all of these topics really played a role in, in my growth and development, both on a personal front and on a professional front. You know, so I think back on my, my development, my growth, me coming up in my career. And I, you know, when in the moment, I didn't recognize and realize these things, but with the benefit of hindsight, you know, I look back and I think about the early days of my career where I'd be in meetings and oftentimes I was the youngest person in the room. Oftentimes I was the only one that looked like me in the room. And again, you didn't think much of it or I didn't at the time, but how that impacts your psyche how it impacts the way you show up um, really, it really is important and it matters and it did impact it. So I think about from, from me consciously trying to uh, neutralize my accent as an example, to changing my speech patterns, right? And, and feeling like I had to assimilate to uh, what I felt at the time was what you needed to be in order to be successful, right? To, to even to the point where I would, put thought into what type of haircut I would get before meeting. And so these things really uh, play a role in your psyche. And of course, as you mature, as you grow, as you develop, you realize that in order to be your best self, you have to be your genuine self. You have to be true to who you are. And so of course you, you gain that insight along the way, but boy, do I wish that I can go back and, and I had the examples and the mentorship and the leadership where I could have learned those those lessons earlier in my life, right? So, you know, naturally, you eventually get to a point, and certainly this is my story in terms of what happened with me, but you get to a point where you realize that it's okay to be your genuine self. It's okay to be you and, and to be who you are unapologetically. And that nothing was given to me. I earned a seat at that table, right? So that paradigm shift, that mind shift plays a huge role in then your ability to um, continue to drive, you know, your, your, your own growth and development personally and professionally. But I'd also be remiss not to mention a couple of facts and that there are factors in our society at large and, and in organizations that result in an uneven playing field, right? And, and some of those factors, you know, from the historical lack of investments in certain communities, in quality education, in healthcare, in diversity uh, among uh, leadership organizations and leadership teams, it matters who's sitting in the room when decisions are being made. And so all of these things manifest themselves in a variety of ways from the historical um, wealth inequality, from uh, pay gaps and pay inequality, um, uh, social economic factors. These are all these things that are important and they're real. And so I think it's important for us to acknowledge those things, to talk about those things, because that's the only way we're going to make progress as a society to address it.
I love that. And one of the things I think is super critical, I want to bring this back to what we talk about, like becoming an anti-racist organization, are decisions, conscious decisions that are being made. So Ibram Kendi, who I just mentioned, is the author of the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And he put it best by saying, being anti-racist results from a conscious decision to make frequent, consistent, equitable choices daily. These choices require ongoing self-awareness and self-reflection as we move through life. Being racist or anti-racist is not about who you are, it's about what you do. And I wanna bring it back because we talk about decisions and I wanna kind of close it off by saying, yes, Everyone has a story. I love your story. I have a story. I know what it's like to be a black woman and to really be at a senior level role and sit at the table to your point and contribute to making decisions. But this is bigger than us. These are people that wake up every day and some of them don't have the luxury have the luxury of not even thinking about what it's like to be a marginalized community. But when you become an anti-racist, it's not about who you voted for saying, oh, I have a friend that is X, Y, and Z. It's about those conscious decisions that you are making every single day that promote equity. So when I think about that in the company perspective, when I think about our policies and practices, when you're thinking about your compensation policies and practices, when you're thinking about, are you remote? Are you moving? Are you telling people to come back to the office? Are you thinking about this with an equitable lens? Are you thinking about the people who can't afford to live in those cities, who people who can't afford to commute? those folks who can't afford to live in certain cities where there's access to high paying jobs. So when I think about that, and I think about kind of your experience, my experience, we are part of the voices that's helping to shape it, but we also have to work with others to ensure that there is self-awareness and self-reflection so that they can continue to make decisions that promote equity for people like us. So I would just love to hear your thoughts about that as we close out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is, you're spot on, first and foremost, right? It's our obligation, I feel, to broaden the discussion, to make sure that we're, we're bringing in and factoring in different perspectives. You know, that's why I mentioned that it's important who's, who's in the room when decisions are being made, because there are decisions that are made, there are policies out there who perhaps, uh, or which perhaps on their face are not discriminatory or are not racist policies, for example. But if those policies in, in its execution and in, in, in its actual net effect have, are executed differently or affect certain groups of people differently, then that's the type of policy that we need to be dissecting to understand, you know, while, not be, you know, while perhaps a benign, benign policy on the surface, you know, does it affect different groups within our organization differently? And so you're spot on that when we do assessments as organizations and we assess the lay of the land and you know where are we in our policies in alignment with our um, equity and inclusion and, and anti-discriminatory um, efforts, we have to really look under the hood. We have to look in the mirror. We have to be honest with ourselves and we have to say, you know, what does our promotion process look like? What does our appraisal process look like? What does our recruiting process look like? And we have to be deliberate with, with those efforts or else we will continue to make decisions and policies that negatively impact groups of people, particularly marginalized communities, underrepresented communities, um, and, and would be then still patting ourselves on the back saying, hey, we're making progress on this front, 
but it's with that clear eye, with that open mind, and looking at it through the lens of ensuring that all of our policies are non-discriminatory, that we'll be able to help drive, within the workplace at least, you know, an environment that fosters diversity, an environment that people are comfortable coming into work. Finally, I would want to, I would love to hear from you. What do you think the future of work will be now that we're thinking about this evolution of diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism? I do this with our teams all the time, kind of this future. What does a future organization look like? Well, first off, great question. Secondly, and by I, the way, I don't know the answer, but, it, <laughs> but I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you this, right? So you know, when I think about the future, first, let me acknowledge the past. The fact that we're in this, this conversation today, the fact that we're privileged and blessed to have this platform um, to be able to help advance this cause um, is a testament to all of the hard work of folks that came before us. We're standing on their shoulders. So when I think about the future, I'll answer your question through the lens of, of future from a generational standpoint, right? I think every generation helps to make progress and help make the world a, a more equitable and fair place. And so I, I have, I'm one of six children, right? I am the, the youngest of six, I have five brothers and sisters. Through them, I have 18 nephews and nieces. So it's very personal to me. And it hits even closer to home because I have a baby girl on the way and she's due to join us next month. And I want to live in a world where my daughter, my nephews and nieces, can be comfortable in their own skin, that they don't have to worry about, are they gonna be judged by the color of their skin, the texture of their hair? You know, so I wanna help drive an environment that fosters that, but also that helps them avoid some of the painful lessons that we've had to learn along the way and that plenty of generations before us had to, to really go through. And so privileged from that sense, um, but I think that it's, it's gonna be a never ending um, effort. Right. I, 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 we'd be kidding ourselves and, and we'd be naive to think that the world is going to change overnight. But it's through having these types of conversations, both with like minded people, but also and perhaps more importantly, with folks who don't share our worldview. Right. And, and who perhaps have different opinions and being able to be comfortable having uncomfortable discussions is how we progressively make progress and, and chip away at it. Right. And you know, beyond that, right, then it's it's some of the structural things, right? Because what I just described is more of the, the impactful on a one-to-one -one basis or on a one-to-few basis. But I'm talking, there are also uh, uh, efforts and actions that we have to take at a societal level with our laws and our policies and, and um, the way that uh, we engage and invest in our communities. And then there's the structural um, items within organizations, like, like what you're doing at Twilio and what we're doing at Teleperformance, which is very hyper-focused on ensuring that we have an even playing field amongst all of our policies and that we also um, help to you know, right some of the wrongs, um, the historical wrongs, by creating an environment that has that, that access and that even playing field. So I'd love your, your thoughts on the same question. Yeah, I mean, I will close and say I 100% I agree with all that. In the near future, I would like other people to have this conversation. The chief diversity officer is so expected. Why am I having this conversation? I think this is a conversation that CEOs need to have with each other. CEOs that, now I'm not assuming that all CEOs are white males, but I think about those from a majority group 
they're having these thoughtful conversations about this as they would with Business Insider or Financial Times or any other group around business, that they're having thoughtful, unscripted conversations about this and their personal journeys. And that's what I like about anti-racism, again, because it is a self-reflection, self-awareness, personal journey of, a, of approaching anti-racism. I love so, that. And yeah. And I, I was just going to say that that's what makes it real, right? And, yeah. and it's what I want to, this is always top of mind for me. I don't want to have conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion or anti-discrimination and anti-racism and it be a check the box type of mentality where it's like, oh, do you have ERGs? Yes, check. Do you have, you know, DEI uh, campaign? Yes, check. It needs to be real and it needs to be a part of what we live and breathe every day. And we have to embed it into the, the core of our organization um, consistently. And to your point, it starts at the top, um, but and, and it's it has to be pervasive throughout the entire organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you said it best. I think that was the best summary of it all. This was great. I so enjoyed this. I know we're going to continue these conversations at some point because we got so many people in common. So um, I appreciate connecting with people who help me to think about this differently. We're constantly hanging out with like-minded people. We are like-minded. But I think what I loved about your assessment of us is kind of bringing the worldview into it. I'm kind of stuck in like, what can I do from the company perspective? And I love the broader impacts that you've that you mentioned around like healthcare, socioeconomic um, access. Um, all of that, I think, is super critical. So thank you for this. And thanks to everybody um, for having Caesar and I do this wonderful conversation. Awesome. Well, it's been my absolute pleasure. Um, I'm grateful for you to take the time out. I consider you an expert in this space. Um, so really, too. <laughs> so I really appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I sorry. I kept going in and out of mute because I could hear my dryer and I was <laughs> like, Oh, what's happening. This was wonderful. Thank you all so much. I feel privileged to be on the same stage with Caesar and I thank you all for A, being so incredibly accommodating to my ever-evolving schedule, but B, for pushing us to do this. This was wonderful. And Caesar, I'm sure I'm going to see you on a stage somewhere. <laughs> thing, oh, running for office, because I feel like you could run for office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the kind words, and let's keep yeah. in touch with Charlie, bro. Absolutely. Talk to you all again. All right. Thanks. What about you? How did you like it? Go ahead and share this podcast. See you later. Teleperformance on Spotify. Feel the connection.